Good morning, everybody. Get your Bibles out, and I want you to turn to two scriptures. Luke chapter 4, all right? Luke chapter 4, that's where we're going we're gonna to start. But then I want you to turn over and find 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, and just hold your place there. Because we'll get to that scripture in just a moment. So Luke 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, I, I've been fasting this week, and I don't know, I, I was talking to a couple of buddies this week, and they were describing for me their process. You know, if you're hopped up on caffeine and sugar, you're going to have some pretty serious headaches. And so, I, I, you know, it's one of the reasons I love fasting is I think, I mean, I hate it. Let's just be real. I hate it. I don't like it. I don't like doing it. I don't like, I don't like participating it. I don't like not going with, with, I don't like going without food. I don't, I don't like not eating. I love eating. But the truth is, the way my body is made, it's good to fast food from time to time. Because if you don't eat as healthy as you should, what fasting does, it, it, it cleanses all the toxins and all the junk that you've accumulated from time to time. It is a, it's amazing how God in the scriptures gives us clues to the things that will make our bodies and our lives work best. Right? The, the way the scriptures read, they help our bodies and our lives, and they have, it has solutions to all of the troubles we find, even in our modern-day society. And so fasting helps you physically, not just spiritually. And, 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 here's, and here's really why. I think there's a spiritual component definitely to it. There's a, there's a spiritual element of going without food and reminding yourself that what you hunger for is the food that only God can give. Jesus said that, you know. He said, my food is to do the will of my Father and to finish his work. That's what Jesus said. I want to hunger for God like I hunger for food. I want to be so aware of God's presence that every few hours I think to myself, i got to eat something. Because <laughs> isn't that the way it works with my physical food? <laughs> like every three or four hours I'm like, Hmm, I haven't eaten in a few hours. I need to eat something. Now, I shouldn't eat that often probably, but when when we're talking about when we're talking about hungering for God, here's a, a, an axiom that I think is important to understand. We crave what we consume. Just think about this. We crave what we consume. And whatever we consume is what we become. You ever heard the term you are what you eat? It's really true. You crave whatever you consume. The more you eat junk food, the more you want junk food. <laughs> That's right. I know from experience. <laughs> the, listen, here's, here's the thing. You, you, the more you eat healthy food, it's crazy. I have gone without all my junk food, all the stuff. I haven't done any of that junk food this week. And I, I am starving for broccoli. <laughs> I'm, I'm really starving for almost anything, you know. I, I'm just, I, it's amazing how it happens to you. You change your tastes. I think it's true when you go without TV. When you go without some of the influences that you've had going on in your life. And you just, you set your, your life apart 
and aside. You, you take time to set aside time with you and, and God. Instead of eating lunch at work, you go out and sit in your car and you read the scripture and you pray. You say, God, I'm so hungry for you. I'm so hungry, I'm willing to go without physical food because I know that you have something more for me than just physical food. And it's really this idea that I want you to get out of the scripture today. As you know, we're in the series on Luke, and so we're in chapter 4, and so we're going to read a little portion of chapter 4, and we're here at the temptation of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus. So let's read the first couple of verses. Verse 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. <laughs> yeah. I want you to notice what happened to Jesus. He had been baptized in the Jordan River, and that's where the Holy Spirit was revealed to him and came and began to settle on him. And so he was full of the Holy Spirit, and, and the, the Holy Spirit began to lead him, and the, the, the Spirit led him into the desert. What a bummer. It seems like it could have been so much better if the Holy Spirit would have led him right from his baptism into the most awesome ministry known to mankind, which is what happened over three years. But first, before the unleashing of the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the work of Christ, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert. The Holy Spirit led him to this moment. The Holy Spirit led him through this moment and the enemy came to tempt him in the desert. He came to tempt him at a moment of weakness. He came to tempt him in private, where no one else was. Jesus went through a period of testing, a period of trial, and a period of temptation, I believe, so that he could have the public success that he had. What I want to talk to you about today is how you are ensuring that you have private victories because private victories always lead to public success. The problem with a lot of our culture is we, we focus and we fixate on, on success that everybody else can see. But the struggle for most of us is privately Privately, we have issues in our lives that we're trying to navigate. We're trying to conquer fear, doubt, addiction, um, things that tear us down. The victories over those private issues in your life is, are what's going to, it's going to show up. It's going to, it's going to unleash for you the success that God wants you to have in your life. I don't think we really get 
success as defined by God, success as defined by the scriptures. I'm not talking about necessarily financial success. I'm not talking about career success. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about success as God would define it, of a relationship with him and him working in your life and him working through your life and ministering to other people, becoming the hands and feet of Jesus. We never get there unless we're willing to wrestle with the private pain that we've got inside the private struggle. I want you to see here that Jesus is going into the wilderness. He's going into the desert. And he's going to struggle and wrestle with private temptations. You may think to yourself, well, it's not, it's not, I mean, it's Jesus. Come on. <laughs> is he really going to fail? Right? Like, like you could think, we, we tend to think of Jesus like Superman. Right? He's, he's, he, he looks normal on the outside. You know, he's, he's got his Clark Kent as his glasses. But really we know that even with the glasses and the suit, Clark Kent is really Superman. He could crush us by shaking our hand. Right? It's like Jesus, sometimes we see Jesus as Superman. Jesus was not Superman. Jesus was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And these are not temptations if they, 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 they wouldn't be temptations if it couldn't have happened to him, right? It's like, it's like he, he is really subjected here to a moment of temptation. And I, wanna, I want us to look at this. I want us to look at this because the truth is there's a spiritual battle going on all around us. And there was here with Jesus as well. At this most vulnerable moment of praying and fasting, the devil shows up. I don't know if you were fasting this week and felt like the devil showed up. My wife thought the devil showed up because I was acting like the devil. Because I was grumpy. <laughs> I didn't have any food. <laughs> I wanted something to eat. I did not like it. The temptation will show up to you to mistreat others at the most vulnerable moment. Can I tell you that the enemy does not fight fair? He doesn't fight fair. He gets you at your most vulnerable. And, and this, the mechanism, here's what I want you to see. The mechanism of fasting that we're all going through, the discipline of fasting, the spiritual discipline of fasting, is the same mechanism that you use to say no to sin. It's the same mechanism that happens in your life to make a decision by the work of the Spirit, right? Because what we're saying no to is food. So we're saying no to our flesh. We're saying yes to the Spirit of God. We're saying no to food, but, this, but we're saying yes to God. And, and this, this dynamic is the same dynamic that you use to say no to sin. Yes to God, no to sin. That's why I want every one of you to join us in fasting something. Maybe it's just one meal. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's going on a juice fast. There's a, there's a whole bunch of coaching that I've put on our website, and you can go there and look up the 21 days of prayer and fasting. It'll coach you through how to fast and how to, how to do it simply and easily. But I want to bring your attention to the fact that we are human, and there's, and there's a war going on around us. There are two realities, two realities happening. There's the reality you see and touch and feel, and then there's the spiritual reality that's happening. And make no mistake, they influence each other. 
The things you do in the physical reality have repercussions in the spiritual realm. That's why the, when we treat people nicely, that's, that brings something in the spiritual realm. When we, when we mistreat people, when we violate others, that brings a cost in the spiritual realm. The, the, the enemy of our souls gets to capitalize on those kinds of things. And, and similarly, the spiritual realm affects the physical realm. You will get in touch with the spiritual dynamics of your soul when you fast. Because you begin to sing, you begin to say no to this realm of flesh and you begin to be opened up to the realm of the Holy Spirit. It's also the reason you shouldn't put a bunch of junk in your, in your eyes or in your mind during fasting because what happens when you, when you go without food is you, you are opening yourself. When you're praying and there's the, 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 the enemy of your soul is going to push you. He's going he's gonna to try to get in there and get involved and so you need to make sure that you're not putting junk in your heart. What Jesus is wrestling with here in Luke 4 is ideas. Ideas. It's not just a temptation to sin. He's dealing with a way of living his life. He's wrestling with how he's going to be the Messiah. God has chosen him. He's, he's, he's directing his steps all through his life. Now he's been baptized. The Spirit of God is on him. He knows what's ahead for him. He sees it coming, but the temptation is, how is he going to be the Messiah? What kind of, what kind of Messiah will he be? Will he be like so many who have come before him in that day and time? Revolutionaries who came to overthrow the tyranny that was on the Jewish people? So many, it, it, they, they had come over and over again people who had tried to thrown off the shackles of Rome, uprisings, trying to cast themselves as saviors, even, even the, 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 the Roman uh, Empire and Caesars, they cast themselves as, as savior and lord. Those were terms that the Apostle Paul used on purpose because he was directly hitting against what the Caesar had called himself, what the ruler of Rome had called himself. And so I want you to look over to 2 Corinthians 10 through 5, and I want you to see how this happens. Here it is. If you're there, are you there? Say yes. All right, here it is. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. It says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do because something else is going on. Verse 4 says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. There is nothing that traps us more than a way of thinking. The battlefield of the two spiritual worlds, the, the, the physical world and the spiritual world of the two realities, the battlefield is right here. The battlefield is in your mind. And he, so he says, I, I, we knock down strongholds of human reasoning and, dis, and destroying false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Have you ever had a rebellious thought? <laughs> every one of you have. <laughs> every one of us has had a rebellious thought. What's going on when we're fasting is we are pushing back on our rebellion. We're surrendering to God in a display of spiritual discipline 
And as we surrender to him, he begins to work in us. And so that's what's happening to Jesus. He's surrendering to this spiritual discipline, and then here's the war. The war is going on. And I don't think we should see it as the devil shows up in the desert with a little, with horns. <laughs> he's hiding behind a rock, and Jesus is out in the desert, and he's kind of, you know, he's there for 40 days. That's, that's like more than a month, and he's just wandering in the desert. He's just by himself. He's communicating with the Father, and, and the devil's like peeking around the rock and then jumping out and giving him a temptation. I don't think it's that. I think the, the enemy of our soul is trying to cast arguments and reasoning. He's trying to, he's trying to present those to Jesus. And thus the temptation. Thus the temptation. And so I want, you, I, want you, I want you and I to pass the test privately so that we can, like, like Jesus is doing, so that we can win the battle publicly. All right? So let's look at these three temptations. Here we are. The devil said to him in verse 3, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. Now think about this temptation. He's questioning, which is what the devil always does. He questions, and he's questioning God's, or questioning God's design, and he's questioning Jesus's messiahship. So the first thing that he's tempting him to do is to provide for himself. He said, you're hungry. Why don't you demonstrate for me that you really are the Son of God by feeding yourself, turning these stones to bread? Why don't you, why don't you make sure that you can prove that you are who you say you are? It's very interesting. The lie is I must, here's the lie. The lie is I must rely on myself. Think about this, okay? What the devil is tempting Jesus to do is rely on himself instead of what his father has given him, instead of what his father has told him to do. So he says, the lie is I must rely on myself for what I need. So I'm hungry, here's the stones, I'm the son of God, I can do this. But the truth is, here's the truth, here's the way of thinking that we must shift to, is I can trust God to be my provider. I could trust God to be my provider and our helper. Now, in America, we have the American work ethic, which is we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We work hard, all right? We might be losing that work ethic <laughs> as, we, as we look around. I'm not saying we have to be lazy or we, need, or we should be lazy or we should back off and just let God do everything for us. No, you got to work hard. You have to, all of us have to work hard. It is a good work ethic to work hard. But we've got to be good stewards without thinking we're the source of all of our wealth. It's a, it's a, it's a place of motivation. Here's, here's the premise. You're going to work hard either way. You're going to work hard and get stuff you need if you think that you're the source. You also have to work hard if you believe God's the source. But your heart will be trusting in the work of God in you to empower you to work hard. Right? So, so, so there's, this, there's this process going on in Jesus, and he's being tempted here to be a different kind of Messiah than 
God wants him to be. And so he says, he quotes the scripture, he says, it is written, worship, oh, sorry, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. This scripture is Deuteronomy 8.3. You want to turn over there with me? All the way over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And verse 3. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. Deuteronomy, all the way, almost, it's the fifth book in the Old Testament. Fifth book in the Old Testament. And so turn all the way over there, and here's what it says. I'm going to start in chapter, in verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands? Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna. You guys remember this story? This is a story about God providing food for his people when they were wandering in the desert. They're wandering in the desert, and he provides something called manna. Does anybody remember what the, what the term manna means? It means, what is it? <laughs> it does. And it is the bread from heaven, which is interesting because Jesus called himself the bread of heaven. He was talking about, he was, he was referencing manna in the wilderness because God takes care of his people. And so here it is. Jesus is quoting from this passage. He's, he's saying, uh, he's quoting right here in verse uh, 3. He says, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Look, look at verse 4. It's fascinating. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out, and your feet didn't blister or swell. Their clothes didn't wear out. Can I just tell you, that is going to end up with some bad fashion sense. Over all those years, their clothes didn't wear out. Listen, there, there is something that God wants to do in our lives to provide for us that we don't see often. When I came in to Austin and planted one chapel with a whole huge group of people, it was, um, I knew that we were launching out into a wilderness in a way. And I, you know, the question is always, will God provide for us? Will God provide for my, my needs? Will this happen? I believe God's told me to do this, but is it going to happen? And, and then there's a tendency for me to think that I have to build this thing, that I have to work and do what I, all the stuff that I got to do, because I got to make sure that I'm taking care of my kids, and I'm I don't know if you know this or not, I have five children, that's seven people in one house, that's a lot of food. And so there's this, there's this tendency to worry to have anxiety, to stress out. Hey, there's a tendency to actually think that I have to build this church. Jesus said, this is so interesting, I'll just throw this out here. Jesus said, I will build my church. He, he said it about himself. He said, I'm going to build my church, and it's on the revelation of who he was. Peter saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He turned to Peter and he said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Jesus said he would build his church. I have to trust in that. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus said he would build his church. 
but he told us to make disciples. If you build the church, you almost never make disciples. If you build, if you make disciples, you always get the church. That's why I'm so obsessed right now with what discipleship means. I'm going through this process. I'm asking the question, what does it look like for us to make disciples? How can we make sure that every one of us is thinking like a disciple and is willing to make a disciple? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. Over this next year, we're going to be unfolding that. We're going to be like talking about it over and over again because this is what we have to do. But in the midst of it, we have to trust Jesus to do what only he can do. And I remember going through this temptation. How are we going, how, how, how are we going to build? Are we going to build on relationship? Are we going to build on the presence of God? Are we going to linger in his presence? Are we going to take time? Are we going to be willing to be a, a mission-focused church? Are we going to be willing to focus our attention on the individual and not just on the crowd? Listen, those are real temptations, but they have to do with ideas. And the ideas are about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God works. You have the same temptations going on in you about your work and about your career and about your family and about what you can do and cannot do. You have this temptation privately to medicate your, your hurt, your pain, your woundedness, the struggle you've experienced in the past. You have a temptation that you're going to take care of it instead of let God heal it. I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you today to think differently. I want to challenge you to, to maybe fast this week and to ask God, what, is he, what does he want to put his finger on in your life that he's trying to help you to see the two realities that are operating and to gravitate to his heart and his life, his way of thinking, his way of treating your problem, whether it's financial or whether it's emotional. Here's what I mean. You're, you're in an issue, you've got an issue to deal with in your marriage, and so you're fighting, you're wrestling through it, you're, you're, you're angry at your spouse all the time. That is not the way God wants to heal that, by you enforcing or imposing your will on your spouse. That is, that's not the way it's going to happen. Well, don't you, you don't know, Pastor Ross, you don't know, you don't know what she does. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know I don't know, but God does. And if you understand the two realities, then you begin to invest in the spiritual realm of your relationship with God. You begin to take time in the physical realm, time away to seek God, to read the scriptures, to allow him to pour himself into you. Guess what? You become a better husband. I didn't hear too many amens there. <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> Pastor Ross, isn't it harder than that? I don't think it has to be. It's a mindset. Do you believe in the miracle work of Christ? Do you believe in his ability to transform your own heart and to love even somebody who's unlovely? Do you believe that God actually has a plan and a purpose and he's trying to work through it? And, he, and, and you can surrender to him and regardless of what another person says or does to you, even if that person is your spouse, that you can yield yourself and surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit and to the work of God in your life? See, it's a way of thinking. If you don't think that's possible, then you won't do it. 
If you think it's just going without food because you're trying to somehow discipline yourself and I just got to get more discipline in my life, and you know, that, that's the wrong way to think. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what Jesus was going through here. He was determining who he would be to usher him into the next three years of incredible, miraculous ministry. And he had to settle the issue of provision. Was God going to be the provider for him, or was he going to try to provide for himself? Was he going to be the one who would make everything work the way he wanted it to, or was he going to rely and surrender on his father? We're out of time, so I won't get to the next two temptations till next week. So I want you to think about this. I want you just to close your, close your Bibles and bow your head, close your eyes. I want you to think about where you are and your, where, where, where is your private life? What does your private life look like? Does it look healthy? What, what's going on in your mind every day? Is it filled with worry and anxiety? Is it filled with, with concern over your finances or over some situation? Is it, is it, are you obsessed with trying to get what you need? If you are, I, I, I think there's a better way. Jesus said the better way. He said, man does not live by bread alone. It's not about just this physical realm. It's not just about getting what your appetite wants. But you can rely on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That word can come and transform your heart and mind and soul. That word can come and give you the next step, the next bit of instruction. That word can come and give you a new idea that changes your business, that changes the career path because you listened to what God was saying to you and not just providing for yourself. What's going on inside of you? Are you, are you successful deep inside your soul? Are you allowing him to remake you and reshape you? Are you willing to surrender to him? Listen, I, that is where the life of God is, is in surrendering those deep and dark secrets. The life of God comes to you when you're willing to lay your life down and all the anxiety that you have about your life and then let him fill you. Let him fill you. Many of us have had the experience. You're in the midst of the challenge, in the midst of the pressure of what's going on around you, in the midst of the pressure of your, your, your marriage or some crisis or some tragedy that's happened, and yet there's a grace on you to navigate through it. Look, that is possible. Do you have to, do you still have to work hard? Sure you do, sure you do. But if you'll rely on the work of God in you and through you, you will find a miraculous, amazing truth unfolding. It'll change you. It'll make you different. It'll, it'll, it'll direct your steps in a different way. You'll find yourself in a different place than overwhelmed and consumed by what's going on around you. 
I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to call you, all, these, all of you forward. But I do want to take a moment to pray for you. And I want you to respond to the work of the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize this is, I don't, what you're talking about, Pastor Ross, I, I haven't been living like that at all. I don't even, I don't think I have a relationship with God. I haven't been considering him in my life. I've just been doing my own thing. I've just been trying to accomplish my own plan, my own purpose. It's time for you to yield, to surrender. He's calling you. You can feel it. You can can hear his voice deep down in your soul. You can hear him calling you. I want you to respond to him. Maybe it's the first time today that you've ever done that, or maybe it's the first time in a long time. But either way, no matter where you, where you are, even some of you believers, you know Christ, but you've been living with distractions filling your heart and soul. You've been living with anxiety running your life. You've been living with all these other things. You're, you're stressed out because you're trying to figure out how you're going to make it, how you're going to provide for you, for your family. I want to challenge you. Would you just respond to the Holy Spirit and his work? If you hear his voice calling you, would you just lift your hand and say, I want want to make a commitment to that, what you just described there. Yeah, just lift up your hand right now, right here, right here. Yep, I see you all over the room. Yeah, just don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. This is is the moment. This is the the time. Yeah, just leave it up for a second, if you would. Just, just all over the room. If you lifted your hand, just leave it up for a second. Everybody, just eyes closed and heads bowed. Now, Father, you see these hands, and you see the work that's going on inside of them. You know what's happening in their lives. I don't know what's happening, but I don't need to, because you do. You see it. Would you rescue them? Would you invade them? Would you pour your spirit out into their hearts and minds, transform their thinking, transform the ideas that they're working with. Lord, lead them and guide them. Father, I pray that you would overwhelm them with your presence, with your spirit, with your grace, with mercy. We thank you for this and we receive it in Jesus' name.